Joining us once again to announce the order of the top three picks in the 2007 NBA draft, Deputy Commissioner Adam Silver. Here we go. The third pick in the 2007 NBA draft will be made by the Atlanta Hawks. The second pick in this year's draft will go to the Seattle Supersonics. And that means the number one pick will go to the Portland Trailblazers. So the Portland Trailblazers with that young core of talent coming through with the top pick when the draft takes play, placed on June the 28th, their new general manager, Kevin Pritchard, with a terrific young nucleus of talent to work with. And here's Mark Jones. Brandon, what does this mean for the franchise to earn the number one pick like this? I mean, this is this is huge for our franchise. Um, I'm just happy that I was able to come here and maybe be a little good luck, but um, there's so many great players in this draft and we get to make the first choice. What were you thinking as you stood up here with Lenny Wilkins and Dominique uh, Wilkins and it was coming down to the final two? Uh, I was nervous. I was really nervous, but um, I was also excited that we were even in the top two. I mean, there's two great players in this draft that we had the opportunity to draft, and um, I was just happy to be here and represent Portland. Hey, Rip City. This is Nasir Little, and it's time to open the briefcase with Casey Hodall. Greetings, Blizzard fans, and welcome to the briefcase, episode 39 of the briefcase. I am your host, Casey Holdall, and that was the final moment of the 2007 NBA Draft Lottery in which Brandon Roy, fresh off being named Rookie of the Year, represented the Trailblazers and brought home the number one pick despite Portland having just the sixth best odds of securing the top spot. 16 years later, Brandon Roy will be back at the lottery, though this time in Chicago rather than in Secaucus, representing the Trailblazers as they hope to secure the top pick while having the fifth best odds in this year's draft lottery. We'll consider Tuesday's draft lottery, hear from one of the players that Portland has already hosted for a pre-draft workout, and quickly preview the conference finals on this edition of The Briefcase. Well, in regard to the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery, this is the second consecutive year and just the ninth time in franchise history that the Trailblazers find themselves in the lottery after avoiding it for the better part of the last decade. Last year, the Blazers sent Damian Lillard to represent the team at the Draft Lottery, in which they had the sixth best odds of securing the top pick. And while the letter O has delivered in the clutch on many occasions during the course of his career, Portland would end up underperforming their odds by coming away with the seventh pick. By Sin and Roy this time, the team was hoping the good luck he brought to the event 16 years ago can be harnessed once again. Let's go ahead and run down some of the numbers here. As previously noted, the Trailblazers have participated in the draft lottery eight times in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2012, 2013, and 2022, and have come away with the first, third, fourth, seventh, tenth, eleventh, and thirteenth picks. They actually had the 13th pick twice. They have outperformed their odds twice, the first in 2005 when they got the third overall pick while having the fourth best odds, and then when they won the lottery in 2007, the year Roy represented the team, despite having the sixth best odds. On the flip side, Portland has underperformed their lottery odds twice. Once in 2006 when they had the best odds, yet ended up with the third overall pick. You might recall they came out of that draft with both Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. And the aforementioned lottery in 2022, in which they had the sixth best odds, but finished with the seventh pick which they used to select Shaden Sharp, which, again, that seemed to work out pretty okay for Portland. You would obviously rather get a higher pick, but the players they've come away with when they've underperformed their lottery pick have turned out to be pretty good players. And in four years, 2004, 2008, 2012, and 2013, the Blazers came away from the lottery with the exact pick their odds predicted. So right now you might be asking yourself, what are Portland's odds of getting the picks this time around? Let's go ahead and break that down. For the first pick, Portland has a 10.5% chance. For the second pick, a 10.5% chance. For the third pick, a 10.6% chance. For the fourth pick, a 10.5% chance. 
For the fifth pick, a 2.2% chance. For the sixth pick, a 19.6% chance. For the seventh pick, a 26.7% chance. For the eighth pick, a 8.7% chance. And the last pick Portland could get, the ninth pick, is a 0.6% chance. So to make that even easier to remember, the Blazers have nearly the same chance of getting a pick in the top four, 42%, as they have of getting the sixth or seventh pick, which is 46%. So again, a 42% chance of getting the first, second, third, or fourth pick, a very small chance of getting the fifth pick, a pretty good chance of getting the sixth or seventh pick, a so-so chance of getting the eighth pick, and a very close to zero chance of getting the ninth pick. So if you're a Blazer fan watching the draft lottery on Tuesday, which is the 5 p.m. start on ESPN, you obviously don't want to hear Portland called until the very end. And what you do want to hear is one of the teams above Portland called earlier. Basically, if one of the teams that's above Portland has their team name called early on in the process, or at least before the fifth pick, you know at that point, or there's a very good chance at least at that point, that Portland has jumped up into one of those top four picks. It's kind of weird to talk about, but technically the draft lottery is only for the top four picks. So even though it does end up defining what all those lottery picks are, the actual lottery itself is only for those top four picks. It's kind of weird to think about it that way since the way it shakes out, it does define all the picks in the lottery, but the actual process itself is only for those top four picks. That's probably not all that helpful. But again, all you really need to remember is you want to hear Portland's name called as late as possible in the show. If it's early on in the show, that's bad news. If it's one of the teams above Portland early on in the show, that's good news. And if it ends up being chalk, if it's just all the same teams, obviously you would hope that Portland would do better than the fifth pick. But hey, fifth pick's not that bad either. Probably also worth noting here that the team with the fifth best odds has won the lottery five times. To compare, the team with the best odds have won seven times. And granted, the lottery has gone through numerous changes. The lottery format when the Blazers won it back in 2007 is not the format that it is now, but Portland's chances of getting the top pick this time around are almost double what their chances were the last time they got the top pick back in 2007. While the lottery itself is exciting, having Brandon Roy be the representative is something that I think people might even be just as excited about, and for good reason. There's been a sincere desire to bring Brandon Roy back into the organization for some time now, both from the organization's perspective and from the fans' perspective. People love Brandon Roy. They feel so bad about the way his career went. It's one of the great what-ifs in Portland Trailblazers history, which is really saying something because there's been quite a few what-ifs in Portland Trailblazers history. So the opportunity to just have Brandon around more is something I know people are very happy about. Jason Quick, who was very close to Brandon during his time in Portland, was able to catch up with B-Roy for The Athletic. And if you haven't read that story yet, you definitely should. Brandon explains why he's mostly stayed away from Portland since having to retire. To quote Brandon, There's never been a moment where I felt I couldn't reach out to the Blazers and be a part of the organization. Never. I just wanted to stay away from basketball, or from even hearing my name. It was just hard to not be able to play. I was only 28, 29 years old, so I just stayed away. End quote. And that's maybe the only downside of having a fan base like we have in Portland that really cares about the team. When you lose, you feel it much more than you would on teams where fan bases are much more casual about their support. It's hard to feel like you've let people down. And even if that's not true— which it isn't in Brandon's case. He gave Portland all that he had and probably a little bit more. It's understandable to not want to be constantly reminded of what could have been, especially when you never really got an honest opportunity to show what you could do. If Brandon's body holds up on him, there's no telling what happens with that team. But it didn't. And I think that's something, obviously, that's hard for fans to deal with. It's much, much harder for the players themselves to deal with. That what if, that feeling that you let people down, that you didn't hold up your end, that people who cared so much for you and what you did that you weren't able to deliver on the promise 
That's a really hard thing to get over. And I've seen it time and time again with players. And sometimes the team could be better at bringing alumni back into the fold. That's absolutely true. But sometimes it really is about the player and what the player needs and the space that the player wants to have to not be reminded constantly about some of the worst events in their careers. I know I don't like to be reminded of the things that I screw up on or the things that don't go particularly well for me. And that's just one guy who no one really cares all that much about. To be a player, to be an all-star, to be someone like a Brandon Roy, someone like an Arvidas Sabonis, and carry that weight on your shoulders, fall short, and then have to come back and look at those people in the eye, I think that's really tough for some guys. Even again, if that's really not what the fans feel about it. Fans would love to have those guys around more often. It's not like fans are looking at those guys and saying like, boy, you guys really let us down. But the mind <laughs> takes you to that place. And I just think for some guys, it's really hard to get over that. And it's completely understandable because I think I would feel the same way. But now, with so much time having passed, it sounds like Brandon is ready to rekindle his relationship with the team. Again, to quote Brandon Roy from Quick Story, some of it for me is getting older. I feel like being away was good for me and it gave me time to refocus and reset my life. So this is just trying to keep up that relationship. I think not only with Joe, who, by the way, was on the team when Brandon was here, but the entire organization. This is kind of the first step at it. We've talked about me coming back to see some games next year. I just kind of want to normalize it a little more with me being back around the NBA. I've even talked with the University of Washington and coaches there just to try to normalize being back around it again. I'm not saying the NBA or college is even anything I want to be a part of right now, but it's something I'm starting to think about more seriously. End quote. So regardless of what happens Tuesday night, just having Brandon Roy back in the fold feels like a much-needed win for this organization. Moving on, while those preparing for Tuesday's lottery finished their season over a month ago, there are still four teams competing for the 2023 NBA championship. So let's do a quick preview of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. In the East, the 8-seed Heat, after defeating the 5-seed Knicks in six games, will face the 2-seed Celtics, who won two elimination games to defeat the 76ers in seven games. The Heat, after losing their first game of the play-in tournament to the Hawks, have been the surprise of the playoffs, and Jimmy Butler might be playing better than anyone in the 2023 postseason, but I'm going to go with the Celtics in this one. Too much depth. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are too good together for the Heat to overcome. I don't think they have the depth. I'm taking Boston in six games. On the other side of the table, the 7-seed Lakers defeated the Warriors in six games to move on to face the 1-seed Nuggets, who bested the Suns in six games to advance to the conference finals. I've doubted the Lakers throughout the postseason, and one could argue few teams have had an easier path to the conference finals. The Grizzlies collapsed under injuries and their own off-court mistakes, and the Warriors, for all of their impressive history, seem to have about reached the end of their title run. But they've proven me wrong at every turn, so maybe the Lakers will do it again here. Nevertheless, I'm still going with the Nuggets in seven games to move on to the NBA Finals. Game one of Lakers versus Nuggets is set to tip off on ESPN on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., so right after the draft lottery. They actually moved the draft lottery up a half hour in order to get to that 5.30 slot, while game one between the Heat and the Celtics on TNT is scheduled for Wednesday at 5.30 as well. So the pre-draft process really kicks off this week with the draft lottery and the Combine, which is being held in Chicago. So let's go ahead and hear from one player who's already come through Portland for a workout. Dylan Mitchell, a 6'8 forward out of Texas, discussed his workout in Portland, which also include Trey Alexander of Creighton, Demoy Hodge of Missouri, Jordan Miller of Miami, Julian Phillips of Tennessee, and Ben Shepard of Belmont on May 10th. Mitchell, who left Texas after his freshman year, averaged 4.3 points on 64% shooting from the field and 3.9 rebounds in 17.4 minutes per game this season for the Longhorns after being one of the highest rated players in the high school. ESPN had him as the fourth best player in the 2022 class out of prep powerhouse Montverde Academy in Florida. Here's what John Giovanni of ESPN and a former co-worker of Trailblazers assistant general manager Mike Schmitz had to say after Mitchell declared, quote, 
Mitchell entered the season as a projected top 10 pick, but saw his stock decline as playing time was reduced amid paltry offensive production. He sought 64% from the field, but would have the lowest usage rate of any college player draft in the last 30 years, having attempted just 3.1 shots per game in a crowded, veteran frontcourt. In spite of his lackluster production, Mitchell reminded NBA scouts why he was so highly regarded on several occasions with his unique combination of mobility, explosiveness, defensive instincts, and finishing ability, areas that give significant potential to continue to improve at just 19 years old. So having said all that, let's go ahead and hear from Mitchell, who, if nothing else, has a long career ahead of him in public speaking. So how do you feel like the workout went for you today? Uh, I think it went great. I mean, the, the competition level was high. Uh, everybody was competing. I think the best part was everybody was together. Yeah. You know, we're talking. You know, a lot of us, we don't know each other. Sure. We might have played against each other. You know, I played against Jordan, uh, lead eight. I played against Julian Phillips, working out with him in California right now. But, uh, you know, the other guys, we don't know each other. And I just felt like we were all together. Uh, and we all competed at a high level. And I think that it was a lot of fun. I think the main part about coming here is just to have fun. You know, we're all blessed to have this opportunity. And now we're here competing high, but having fun at the same time. What are some of the things that you're trying to show as you're going through this process? Uh, just the process of my jump shot. Yeah. I think that's been the biggest part. Just uh, I've been putting a lot of work in, and I think now just being able to show it, show that I can be more versatile, you know, grab rebounds and push the ball myself, uh, just showing more parts of my game that I, maybe I wasn't able to show. So, But I think the main focus right now is just working on my jump shot, constantly getting in the gym three times a day, just working on the shot, working on the shot. I think that's been the biggest focus right now through this process. Is this the first one of these you've done? This is the first one. This is the first one. It went great. I mean, just the, the competitiveness. You know, I, I heard a lot of my friends talking about their workouts, and now to be here, be a part of it, it, it went great. It was amazing. What's the hardest part of the, the mental process of going from, from college to the pro game? And- I think it all just comes down to the work ethic. Uh, just be working, just being in the gym working. You know, there's college game is a lot different than, you know, the NBA level. So being able to transition from college to the, to the NBA level, it's all about your work ethic. You got to be able to put the work in. You can't just go out there and play college ball and just hop into the pros and get to it. So I think it's all about just your work ethic. And that, that's a big part of having, like, uh, some friends of mine that are in the NBA that I'm able to learn from, and they just teach me through that process about, you know, the transition from college, overseas, wherever, to, you know, playing at this level. Who are some of those guys? Uh, Jalen Green, K.J. Martin, Malachi Branham. Those are some of the players. And they're all young players. So it's, it's, it's way easier to learn from you know, young players, too, because they've been in my position not too long ago. But, you know, they've done all the workouts. They've went through this process. And now they're in the league uh, playing at a high level. So being able to learn from them, it's been a, been a great advantage. What led to your decision to, to leave early? I think it was just finding the right moment. I felt like I was prepared. I just got to, you know, show it. Uh, I've been putting a lot of work in, and maybe if I wasn't able to show it, I, I know I have it. So now being able to get, get uh, in these workouts and being able to show it in front of all the coaches and the, and the front offices, that's what it's all about right now. So just being able to show it, I feel like it's the right moment. So now just showing my work, showing, my work, showing what I have been working on, showing how versatile I am, uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. You mentioned your jump shot. Where are maybe some of the, the parts of your game you feel like are NBA ready now other, other than maybe? My athleticism. I think my athleticism just is kind of what pushes me over the edge. And then adding the jump shot, adding the handle, adding the the just being versatile. But I think my athleticism, my defense, uh, constantly being able to switch, uh, working on being able to switch on guards, you know, staying down on guards. So I think my athleticism, my defense is what kind of pushed me over the edge to where I'm like, I just got to show, you know, the other parts of my game. And if I'm able to show that, you know, I could just continue to work to be an all-around player. What are your expectations for the draft? hope to go, plan to go, trying to work towards. Just constantly working. It's God's plan at this point. So whatever God has in store for me, that's that's the goal and that's what I'm going with. Uh, I know he's got my back and I got his back and whatever's the right decision, he, he knows what the right decision is.
Do you have any more workouts scheduled at this point? I do. I'm not sure. I know after I got, you know, the combine, then our pro day, then I got a couple more lined up, like uh, the Clippers, Indiana, Detroit, some teams like those. So there you go. Dylan Mitchell out of Texas talking about his workout in Portland. All the best to Mitchell and to all the players who are going through the pre-draft process, trying to fulfill their dreams. It's always a fun time to see these guys come through town, really try to put their best foot forward. Important to remember, too, that while the Blazers do have two first-round picks, whatever they get in the lottery and the pick they get from the Knicks, as well as a second-round pick, which they get from the Atlanta Hawks, Blazers have an entire G League team they need to fill out this year. So they will likely be looking for players for their G League team as well as for the main team throughout the pre-draft process. So if you see some guys that they're working out and maybe you think to yourself, boy, I don't really know how that makes a whole lot of sense. The answer to that might very well be consider the G League team. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of The Briefcase. I'll be back on Wednesday to recap the draft lottery, though I'll also be recording an instant reaction edition of the Blazers Balcony with Brooke Olsendam right after Tuesday's lottery. So go ahead and subscribe to both of those podcasts wherever you get your podcasts as the frequency of both will start to pick up as the offseason heats up. So thank you for listening to this edition. I am Casey Holdall. Go Blazers!